0: And welcome to the Red Pill Training Podcast. We are back with Season 3 with myself, James Jowsey, Phil Mansfield and Gemma Chambers.
1: Hello and welcome to Season 3 of the Red Pill Podcast. Uh, we do apologize for being gone for so long. Um, things have been busy. Um, but we're back in some unusual times and circumstances. Uh, we're online, um, we're doing from a distance. First podcast we've recorded where we can't see each other, so that's going to be interesting. Uh, I don't know if it's going to be an improvement, but it's going to be interesting. So um, how are you doing, Gemma?
2: I'm very well, thanks. Bill. How are you?
1: Mate, I'm good. And uh, Jousey, how are you, bud? Top of the world. What's been going on in Jouseland?
0: Um, same as everybody else, really, isolation. are you coping? Quite enjoy it, to be honest. Um, how are you how are you how are you keeping yourself entertained mate um started running again
1: have you
0: so i have yes
2: well
0: done. i'm beginning the beginning the marathon training again so got no marathon to run towards but i'm just doing the training anyway see so, yeah, how we go what
1: does that training look like, Jas? What does it consist of? How do you start up for, um, so obviously from not training for a while and then making a the decision to start the process, how does it look?
0: Um, put my shorts on, put my top on, <laughs> stick my trainers on, go out running.
1: <laughs> Very helpful.
0: Yeah, no, uh just run every day. So I just go running, super steady, 20 minutes. Um, Done that for like two, three weeks and now I've just started increasing the volume. i um, not particularly, no pace, like goals, no, I'm not competing with myself. I'm just going off feel, um, running to feel good. Um, I don't feel like I'm, like it's not casual. Like I wouldn't be having a conversation with somebody, but like I say I'm not, I'm not redlining either. It's just, just enjoying the process and feeling good.
1: How's your health because, as a result of it, bud?
0: Um, oh, I look as good as always. Um, wow. so, so there same. is that. There is that. Um, yeah, not had a negative reaction with the guts, which is good. Um, they've been better. I'm sure, the world wants to know that. <laughs> um, I did. Yeah. Sorry, sorry, another world. No, it's all going well at the moment. Um, feeling really good. High on vitamin C, vitamin B. Actually, not sleeping at night now. um Got lots of energy, um so yeah, it's going, it's going well. What about you,
1: Gemma? How is your, um how are your fluctuations in training coming along?
2: Do you know, I've got significantly more time to train, and we've got a little gym in our garage. So actually, training is going pretty well. um <clears throat> But I'm starting from the very beginning again because it's been such a long time. So. Yeah, very much going back to basics and just trying to build up a bit of strength. Yeah, and then going from there.
1: Kelly, yeah. have you have, you, have you done Kelly recently? I will
2: never do Kelly ever again. I've been traumatized by that workout. Oh, so
1: thanks for that. I feel partly responsible. Don't don't feel partly responsible, Phil. It's entirely your fault. I did <laughs> Kelly last week. On a side note, did you? Yeah, I did. Very good. I thoroughly enjoyed it.
0: How did you how feel, mate?
1: How did I feel? How did she feel? There's always one, isn't there? There's always Sorry. one. That's all right, mate. Um. So, topic of the podcast is stability and flexibility. Um. And how this podcast came about, or how this this episode came about, interestingly enough, was. Um, uh, <clears throat> Gemma and I were having the. Usual discussion about uh, stability and flexibility, and we t- wanted to look at the literature as to how the two coexist within motion. I think there's, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go as far to say that the, both topics have been extensively researched, but there's been a, a certain amount of research done on stability itself and flexibility itself. Um, but there's very little done, which is, of course, it would be, in fairness to, in fairness to us or the research community, it would be, isn't it? It wouldn't be an easy topic to, um, <clears throat> to research, um, and I think maybe we'll start by 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 having Jaws explain uh, why by by defining stability and flexibility, which ultimately would answer why it would be very difficult to to assess them in tandem um, or research them in tandem. But then perhaps having, I'd like the podcast to move on to strategies for assessing them in in isolation with athletes. And then also obviously some strategies as to one, identifying what stability, how stability and flexibility coexist within motion, um, how to then separate those two out to see um to assess them or to see them within motion or within activity and then ultimately what strategies and techniques we'll be using to to help people with 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 deficits in, in either area so um so jazz if i could call upon you to start with but just if you could just give us a brief overview of what your what is defined what they define for stability and flexibility together and then and then Gemma, if you could just jump in as well, and we'll sort of bounce backwards and forwards. And...
0: Yeah, I can do that. Um, the, I mean, flexibility and mobility has been a, a bit of a buzzword within the industry for a bit. Or in fairness, saying flexibility is kind of on the way out and mobility is on the way in within the fitness industry. Um, but I think when you try and get down to the definition of which one is which ultimately like flexibility can be defined as um it is a measure of range of motion when it's talking about the particularly within the muscles whereas then mobility is supposedly the joint but ultimately when it comes down to it how much a joint can move will have a certain element of the muscular involvement and then the then the joint capsular involvement as well so Effectively, the definition is flexibility is the measure of, of range of motion at a joint um, that is um, influenced by muscles, uh, ligamentous structures, and then obviously, of course, the nervous system. Um, so that would be the, the flexibility definition. Um, stability uh, is then the amount of control displayed at a joint. Often, the stability is the ability of it to move, um, stay within a certain range of motion. So often, like the most stable athlete is the one that doesn't move as much. So when it comes to knee rehabilitation, being able to keep that knee tracking directly over the toe, having no valgus or varus deformity. So stability is the ability to control that joint um, within a range of motion. Uh, However, that range of motion... In the way it's defined, is then very much in a very small uh, has a very small sway on what is determined of where it should be.
2: Yeah, I I agree. I think one of the things I always found really interesting, especially sort of working with you guys for so long, is that stability sometimes is seen as stillness, and I don't think that that necessarily is the definition of, of stability. So I think what you've just said sort of help clarifies that a little bit. So. Um, I try and give you an example of what I mean if you look at people that work with core stability they they sort of and I have done in the past as well sort of prior to this try to keep the core and the lumbar spine as still as possible and that is deemed to be stability um and I think we're sort of moving away from that idea a little bit
1: I don't know if you agree or not yeah, I think I think um absolutely Jim I think thankfully we are. Um it's taken it's taken a while. Um and I think what <clears throat> what interestingly springs to mind as you talk about stillness is um sort of putting you guys on the spot, but can you define the difference between stability and balance? Um because it, it typically balance has been misinterpreted in the same in the same context as stability has because balance has also been been touted as you have good balance if you don't move where where actually balance is about being able to go somewhere and come home again be able to step out and 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 come and come and come away from and come away from your center of mass and come home and if we combine the sort of four definitions that we've, we've got going there with balance, stability, flexibility, and mobility. we put those four together in a pot um, and say that the flexibility is going to allow, or the flexibility and the mobility is going to allow the the body to get away from its center of mass, its center of gravity. Um, stability is then going to provide an element of strength or an element of control to to get out away from center of mass and the balance is sort of the coordination then of the inter and intramuscular firing patterns that then allow me to not only not only complete the motion but complete the motion with success in terms of it it looks like it's under control and then come home from and come home from um I come home from wherever I've gone out from from a centre of mass, whatever position it is Um, so I think it's really interesting how how these topics are typically um, researched and understood in their individual formats but actually when we look at motion they actually come together and they coexist quite nicely to provide motion Um, just the, if you were going, this is putting you on the spot, but I don't necessarily expect us to have an answer, but I'd like us to sort of develop a discussion. If we, were going to, if we were going to research these these areas, if we've defined the four areas there, the stability, flexibility, balance, um, and mobility, if we were going to research these areas, start right down the basics just to give the listeners sort of an understanding of where, where the research into these areas have come, logically where would you start i mean if we just take mobility and flexibility it seems to be the easier easier way to do things um where would you start if you were just starting from the beginning and let's just say never there was never research written on on flexibility where would you start and how would you how would you go about doing it
0: yeah that's a great question i suppose well i mean do we, do we have to talk about how it's been done before in the past i mean flexibility at present in its isolated state a lot of the flexibility tests are done uh isolate in an isolated state like you said it's it's on its own it's lying down on the couch it's lifting up of a limb and and determining how many degrees of hip flexion it is and then and then a range of um a range of motion was uh, decided to be normal based off that group of people. And that was actually quite a broad spectrum group of people that were in in that testing group, Um, which is why the range is so variable. Um, And that's where some of the problems come with then the interpretation of it all was you've got... You think if we then take that group and if we go, right, well, actually what we're going to do now is we're going to test the hamstring range of a group of footballers. And that group of footballers are going to have a considerably different hamstring range score test versus, versus, a, a ballet dancer. Um, like you just got two completely different groups of people with, with different capacities and needs for range of motion within the hamstring and forces that, that have been going through the body to, to create that necessary adaptation. So, I mean, that's, that's where it's come from, but then you, Uh, speaking to it's quite funny when you every time I see a dancer or a ballet someone who's come from dancing or martial arts and is I say oh you're flexible like oh I'm not flexible and it's like because in their head on their scale of flexibility they should be able to do the box splits the front splits and and all these different things and and depending on their their environment that they've been brought up in will make them decide whether they are flexible or not so where would where would I start my testing? Which was the question coming back round. Um, yeah, um, I mean, based off, based off how we do it now, it it is well. Can I position the joint as I've got to be where where the issue comes, is, which is why people have now decided that this is mobility because this is the the active range of of joint, uh, sorry, your what you can actively display as your range of motion at a joint, which is where mobility came into the to the scenario of a flexibility, which was deemed as more passive. I think if what we were actually going to do was go, well, can I put the body in an environment where I am I am testing all structures um, and by structures mean that, well, can we test the nervous system? Can we test the muscle um, and then the joint? in in one environment so therefore it would be standing up um so it would be yes i'm going to do a standing hamstring stretch uh with my foot up on a box uh and i'm going to reach down and get them to try and touch the top and then we see where the range of motion is there because we we have to appreciate that um i think i'll go back go back to a story of when i did my sports therapy. Uh, we did the, the active, we did the passive joint range of motion tests and the girl that I was partnered with at the time, like she picked my hamstring up and just laughed at me and was like, Oh, is that it? Um, and then we did her hamstring test and hers was like way beyond the 90 degrees. And then I just for fun was like, well, let's have a squat test. And she's got about 30 degrees of hip flexion in a squat and I can get all the way down in a squat. So for me, that that shows that. Well, it it proved where the thought process where we we've, we've been working for a long time of well, there's that that one isolated aspect of of uh, flexibility testing doesn't mean anything in that dynamic movement environment. Um, so therefore, that's that's where I'd be sending my tests down that avenue and wanting to do some some research there. Um, but does that then? throw too many um too many variables into the testing procedure yeah what do you think there Gemma?
2: yeah i i think jazz is right i think there's a lot of variables that you'd have to look at for that to be and i think you would have to define what you're sort of aiming to achieve first of all so is it that you're trying to see how they can perform a certain movement and then you'd need to look at which movement would you want to see and I think that would then go back to well what sport are they looking at so I think yeah I think it's hard to sort of really start somewhere almost without and I, and I wonder if that's why historically they have done the whole we, we myself included have done the whole well how long are your hamstrings or how tight is your calf. Um but it's just trying to find a bridge between that and then the, the sort of I don't like the, using the word but more functional movements, so I think it is yeah I, I, I don't have an answer for it in terms of what we where we should start, but I think it's interesting
1: yeah I, I, exactly and i I completely agree and I think we <clears throat> I think this is the crossroads that we come to with with research um, and particularly as evidence as as is is now called evidence-based coaching or evidence-based training or evidence-based therapy or evidence-based this is is starting to be or is more and more the buzzword in things is is it seriously it seriously creates some issues and some tensions um because if we are genuinely going to go down this evidence-based medical medical world which which i wouldn't be which i wouldn't be against in any way shape or form um we will end up um laying people down doing pnf stretching for their hamstrings Um, and we will end up doing core stability models um uh, fixing fixing spines and etc cetera, etc cetera. and and we we unfortunately wouldn't move past there currently. I think we have to be incredibly careful when we when we tout evidence based practice in relation to the quality of research that's actually out there and the and the logical sort of commonsensical understanding that that motion exists in. In three dimensions, or uh, sort of things coexist on their own. And just going back to Jowce's example, they're having, you have this, we have this problem where where you ask someone to bend forward and then you're, you're, you're assessing hamstring range. You're actually we're actually not assessing hamstring range we're assessing the ability of the body to overcome the path of least resistance to be able to get the hands as close to the toes as possible um and typically you'll we'll see knee bends and that's the body bending the knee I know we're talking very very basically here, but we should be at the moment uh the knee will bend and if the knee doesn't bend then spinal segments will contribute to the motion and so we're already there where we say okay we are testing flexibility we're testing range or mobility whatever whatever way you'd like to parcel it but we can't say we're testing hamstring range um and you can then say okay we'll fix the feet and we'll we'll um we'll lay them on a bench which will which will help um and we'll and we'll lift their foot off of the bench, and then we've come sort of a step further away from from function or from from the function of the of the athlete. And I think and I think we're always going to end up butting heads with what we can sense and feel to be correct in terms of understanding the critical features of that sport. I.e., this person needs to be able to run at this speed needs to be able to produce this amount of range of motion needs to produce this amount of force and don't forget at the same time uh, we have at the same time as we have the flexibility research and evidence uh, progressing we have strength uh, evidence progression saying the person needs to have this range this uh, optimal force velocity angles which we can talk about which for the most part are terribly managed terribly researched and very poorly represented um, but we can do that in another podcast. But these are saying, okay, this angle and this this amount of force is required to overcome this particular point. To get to that angle we require a certain amount of flexibility. And the only research we have in flexibility is to to stretch in this particular way. And there's the congruency between the two, there's a there's a big gap in the middle, which is what what we're discussing now is is that gap there is the problem um now if we take the sort of the high horse of we're only going evidence-based practice and we're only following um we're only following um we're only following the sort of structure uh, of evidence-based practice and we're never going to cross those bridges we're never going to get the research from the strength world and the wonderful research from the flexibility world to meet each other
2: i don't necessarily think you have to take the entire sort of purist view of evidence-based though because evidence comes from somewhere so um, yeah. it, something can drive evidence can't it in terms of mm. uh, anecdotal, uh, anecdotal findings or clinical reasoning or reasoning or any description it I, I don't necessarily think that you have to say well you need a double blinded randomized control trial for you to be able to prescribe certain types of exercises or movements but I think on the flip side if you don't look at any evidence you've got people that are have huge influence on the internet and on sort of social media sprouting information that they have absolutely zero research for so I think there's a fine line about where absolutely. we should absolutely. sort of sit really because a lot of people are following these influences and taking their word as gospel but it, where sort of where does that come from I, that is probably for a different podcast but i just think that there is a line
1: i mean I, I completely agree with you Gemma, i completely agree with you Gemma, you do have it does seem to be and it, we seem to be living in an age of 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 where the gray area is the gray area is is never discussed we're in we need to be on a, a black or white uh area and 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 as as you, you allude to the the answer I must be in the middle there somewhere um between being, but that's also my point with the commonsensical way of saying, okay, how do we take the research from the flexibility world, the strength world and how do we combine them to understand what's actually going on in in movement, in sport, like analysing this critical feature of the sport and saying, okay, what does stability, flexibility, uh, balance, uh, rehabilitation protocols, force, force, velocity, angles, et cetera, et cetera. What does all of this say and then how do we then develop some techniques which which combine them together because ultimately when they play the sport all of these things coexist and, and are working at the same time um you're very quiet on this jazz
0: No, oh, no i was just uh waiting for my uh my route in it was all right um yeah i think where, where i was going to come in with a point there was that when we've got the research the problem then is that what do we do with it like so like you just said there phil it is about the integration of it all and then as a coach it's my job to make the right decision like just because i did some research on flexibility that proved you should have x amount of um degrees of hip flexion doesn't mean that that's right for everybody in every context of every sport it's just within that specific control group for that specific task like how do we how do we align that to the specific need of the individual? And that's that is where the the another big grey area is within it all. Um, yeah, what is that? It, Just because the study said it needs to be that does, doesn't mean that I need to broad blanket sweep that across every single person within my uh, practice.
2: The, the evidence won't... It doesn't override your decision making it's just there as a guidance and i think that's what some people fall not not uh, as yeah. guys necessarily but fall for is that they think well okay this protocol for patella tendonitis says i have to do a b and c and then it, but that isn't a handcuff you don't have to stay to that if it's not working so i think that even though evidence can guide you if that is well yeah can guide you it isn't it doesn't we're like autonomous practitioners. You don't you don't just say, well, so and so at owl says this, so we've got to do that for the next six months. I think that's where
0: oh, I mean if you speak to some of the boys that the the environments they're working in, um that's that's the way the practice is though. It is just driven like it's confined by the evidence and everyone's scared to make a decision outside of the evidence. Um
2: I don't, I, yeah, I, I mean... You
0: which, which, is, which is the, like, yeah, you, you, the evidence isn't everything and it shouldn't be, but there's so many people that are literally just, they won't, yeah, they won't cross, <laughs> they, they won't step outside of those parameters. And that's, I mean, I've been taught at the moment, like, yes, to use the evidence, but then actually there, there does come within it They say you are going to have to make decisions and judge the athlete. That is part of um, part of the process, but then how many people actually do that?
1: I mean if the, uh, I can't completely agree with both of you um, Gemma, you're you're absolutely spot on mate that that it has to be evidence has to be a guide, and as long as you're diligent uh, as a coach or a therapist and then your diligence is that you are. Using the research or the evidence to guide informed decisions based off of your experience, then, I'm, mate, I'm, I can't, I'm with you, all the way. And just on the other side, you just highlight the, the issue and the problem we have, within, within our, our small, our small sort of corner of of the world in in terms of in terms of conditioning and rehab and coaching is that is that people are <laughs> I think the old adage that, you know, I have met I've been lucky enough to meet some of the best the best athletes in the world and the, the ones who are really good, the top one or two percent, they're the nicest lovely people in the world. They're, they're they're genuinely nice people. When they're on the when they're on the paddock or when they're playing or when they're doing their thing, they're they're as hard as nails and they're tough and they're unforgiving. And the second the final whistle goes, there's sweethearts. Uh, and there's very few top top people who are who feel the need to be nasty outside of their their environment, which is more evidence to why Roy Keane wasn't a particularly good player. But we'll, <laughs> I knew,
0: we'll I knew you were going there. But
1: we'll, we'll 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 do that another time. But but use, using that example, when you do step off the top there, when you do come down into the that one of the reasons these people are such nice people is they just don't have the the residual insecurity they don't have that sort of deep-rooted insecurity that necessity to prove others wrong necessity to belittle other people and necessity to to feel dominance over other people um and that's the The issue that you guys are describing there, Jimmy, you are the elite athlete there. You're absolutely right that in the perfect world, we should be allowed to, as coaches and therapists, do our best. We should be allowed to express ourselves. We should be allowed to take the evidence, do our absolute best with the evidence, and work on it. The problem on the other side of the desk is you've got the, the, the sort of egos banging on the drums, banging on the desk saying, if you don't agree with me, it's not evidence-based. If you don't have the same point of view as me, it's not evidence-based. If you step off the line, it's not evidence-based. And it's, and it's, it's, it's a shame. I don't use any energy or time on it myself. Um, I'm pretty secure in my own strategies and techniques and the things I do. um, And I'm pretty happy with, with the systems I've got running Um, and I, I won't compromise them. Um, uh, for anyone um, but but the the others the coaches out there do live in a very very confused world they live in a, they don't know exactly what they what they should be doing or what they should be looking or if it's okay to use that protocol because because of the sort of almost scaremongering and the insecurity and the the sort of the, the, the drum banging Um just let's move on a little bit, guys, because I think as as you said, Gemma, we could talk about this for a long time. I think it's probably an important topic. I don't think we should give it its time. Um but 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 just, I think you you talked about uh previously, you talked about the um, the different elements come together while you're why you're a sales, or why you're working with someone, and you said the job of the coach was—I can't remember your exact words—but you said the job of the coach was was to determine what's needed at what point, at what time, and where it is. Could you, could you for us, could you go, could you elaborate on that, please? Could you go through how do you separate stability? Let's just start with stability and flexibility. How do you separate stability and flexibility? You gave a wonderful example earlier of uh, of a lady who who was very flexible in sort of supported instability. You gave her stability with a couch and she had a lot of range. You took the couch away. You took the stability away from her and she, she lacked range, where vice versa. You in a an highly stable environment lacked range, where in an unstable environment you gained range. Can you elaborate on that with some basic – I'd like you to give some techniques, some tests, some things you would do. What do you look at? What tests do you use? Uh, and how do you define and, and yeah how do you note take how do you how do you sort of move forward and where do you go from there
0: Yeah, so i mean like you've alluded to within within the question there when when you change by changing the environment enables us to basically get a better understanding of whether it's flexibility that's limiting them or whether it's stability so if you if you're wanting somebody to to test flexibility, what we need in, to test flexibility in its own isolated environment, like that couch principle, was you put them in a completely stable environment to test joint flexibility. Now the problem being that when that person stands up, and now we've changed the environment, so now there is a yeah, a different demand on the system. Um, the lying down on the couch is more stable than standing up but standing up is now standing on two legs is more stable than standing on one leg. So what we do when we're testing flexibility is we we have as many points of contact as possible to test the flexibility range. So yes, we need to test a left hip. So therefore the right foot needs to be on the floor, but then we need to have some kind of hand support with, with, uh, yeah, with both hands to basically give me a better a better understanding of of does that does that hip have the required range um, because if I don't have that hand support if I'm if I'm in that upright posture like I'm saying it is important that that upright posture is there because as as we've already found in that one example I said before as soon as we change the environment you've got someone that presents as flexible but then moves and has no flexibility whereas myself I present as very stiff but then you change my environment and then I've actually got enough range um so yeah, standing on the floor, um you need to give that standing leg support. So that's where the hands come in. Because if I take the hands off, now I have a stability demand on that standing leg. So if that's working overtime, when we put somebody in an unstable environment, and for this description we use like the ice principle. So when I'm when we walk on ice, we we're in the most unstable environment we can be in. So our range of motion completely shuts down and our stride length goes from being, what, a 30 to 60 centimetre stride length when we're walking down to probably about 10 to 15 centimetres, making sure we don't fall flat on our faces. Um, So that's, that's how we manipulate the environment to test flexibility. In the flexible world, we need to be in, when we're testing flexibility, we need to be as stable as possible but as functional as possible which is hence the upright posture flip side of that coin when we're testing stability like now we want to take all those points of contact away so now we put them on that one on one leg and go well whilst you are on one leg can you move from point a to point b and back showing control and also where where necessary Displaying enough range of motion at the same time because it's all integrated. Like I said, the range of motion shut down when I walked on ice. So now I'm stood on one leg. Do I have the same degrees of dorsiflexion, stood on one leg, doing a toe reach forwards to 12 o'clock as I do in a stable position? No, you probably wouldn't. But if my requirement in my sport is to display dorsiflexion whilst being dynamic, then I need to be able to have display that dorsiflexion across a multitude of different environments. So that would be that would be how we manipulate the environment to test those two components, but um, whilst doing dynamic motion.
1: Fantastic, buddy. Fantastic. Anything you have to add to that, Gemma?
2: No, I don't think so. I think there's um, yeah, I think that was pretty comprehensive, Jess. Very good. No, I, I have nothing else to add to that really.
1: I was training. Rare, rare rare occurrence. Um,
0: More more regular than me, mate. (laughs) Um, And
1: we did a workout where it was twenty-one fifteen nine power cleans with. uh, I had twenty-two and a half kilo dumbbells, Um, so two dumbbells, and it was power cleans and after each after each um set i had to with one of the dumbbells have single arm overhead walking lunge for 12 meters and then so you did 21 dumbbell cleans overhead walking lunge uh 12 meters and then 15 lunge nine lunge and then you got rid of one dumbbell and then you did 21 snatches with one dumbbell obviously alternating arms uh, not double snatches um and then and then lunge and then 15 alternating snatches and lunge and nine alternating snatches and lunge and on the set of 15 on the snatches um about three and a half minutes into the workout of course um i um turned and i came back and i I'd said to the people we were going with that the rules were strict that you had to get like competition rules, you have to get both feet over the finish line, sort of the line where you're doing your snatches there. And I got and I got within one and a quarter step from the finish line. And of course, being being efficient and not lazy, I I didn't want to do two lunges, I wanted to do one lunge. So I had the weight in my left arm, which is the weaker arm, very unstable on the left arm. And I decided to try to take a bigger step forward. Now, these these lunges should be six meters unbroken. So, six meters out, six meters back. And I took the step forward and I took an extra step. And now I'm talking about four centimeters. I could feel it, I could sense subconsciously, and I could sense that fear as my foot was in the air. And I'd made the decision that I'm going to take the four centimeter bigger step for the lunge. And I literally, in a fatigue state, landed with my foot over the line um, and then collapsed. <laughs> the dumbbell landed somewhere. <laughs> the dumbbell landed to the left of me and I landed to the right of me and had to pick the dumbbell up and walk back to six meters. And I don't regret taking the risk. Um, but what happened there, Joust? Or, or yeah, yeah, what happened there, Joust? What What? I increased the mobility or the flexibility. I created a longer-range demand. Admittedly, my inner sort of warning signals and my my consciousness said to me, Phil, don't do that. But, you know, stubbornness took took over, um, and I went for it, and um, I didn't make it. Why is that, Jouse? What fails there? How do the systems of flexibility? How can create a four centimeter range demand a great, a four centimeter greater range demand collapse the system for strength balance? I lost my balance. I fell over. Strength. I wasn't strong enough. I could feel on the way down. It was just not. Literally, I landed and fell. Uh, talk us through that, bud.
0: I mean, that would be effectively why why we do the upright testing because. Within, like I say, lying down on the couch is more stable, but that that nervous system is is effectively you've lost the fight, the lost, you've chosen to lose the uh, lose the battle against the ever the ever present um, force that is gravity and lie down. Um, whereas when we're stood up, we're fighting gravity. Um, in which case, within that comes that the nervous system is is the huge community is the communicator of all the joints, all the muscles, connective tissue. Yeah. Capsular. Um, it senses where we are in space and time and it knows exactly where, where are deeply where like that, that subcon, un- sorry, subconscious, your subconscious doubt, your nervous system was telling you I don't have that in my locker. And as that foot hits the floor, the the muscle spindles are sensing the extra range um the extra yeah the rate of the stretch length of the stretch going through the muscle they are unable they've not been in that position before they have no neurological memory of that of that pattern therefore when you're at end range uh, which is relative that's where failure happens and, and you fall over and we see we see we see breakdown of movement because the nervous system wasn't able to control and yeah, it's where flexibility and stability are effectively the same thing. It's can I move through what range of motion can I get to what within my dynamic human movement and control and get home again. And you went beyond your range of motion, which then (laughs) meant that you had no stability at that end range and we saw failure. So flexibility and stability are basically linked as, as one, which is where, where we come from. It's just, like I say, at the moment, there's no, um, how do we, how do we test that in the, how do we get to that point, which is the, going to be the beauty of it all.
1: So, so, so Gemma, um, just sort of focus, which I know the podcast is about stability and flexibility. So I, of course you did that Chelsea. So, um, <laughs> as you should have done, but but I fell over. Um, so balance was an issue there. Um, <clears throat> um, I wasn't strong enough in that range to control that range. So strength was an issue there. So Jaws has sort of given us a good example as to why flexibility and stability didn't coexist well enough for me there. but. Can you elaborate on why strength and balance could have helped me there and what what strength and balance did or didn't do for me in that situation? And then my final question to both of you would be then, is it all one and the same? You said many times the nervous system failed. Strength is nervous system, balance is coordination, strength is producing force balance is coordination stability is right is is controlling the motion which is akin to strength uh flexibility and mobility are designed to the range can we can we separate them at all sorry Gemma.
2: no that's okay um i think i to try and answer your question i think i would say that you essentially fell over because the whole everything failed you and that's what i feel like balance is in, in some respects is that you weren't like you said you weren't strong enough to achieve that range of movement um your center of mass or center of gravity would have been slightly outside of your realms of control and that's where you fell. but if you'd had additional strength to overcome that it was like the, the sort of thing that you talked about previously is your ability to get from a to b and then back to a and that's pretty much where where you broke down and and why you fell over and i think that balance is a word we use freely but perhaps we don't necessarily mean balance does that make
0: sense yeah completely gem um i think i think the best what i see balance as is is the ability to respond to dynamic changes in center of mass so if we're going to put the bring the strength and balance into the equation as well, if we think of it relative to squatting, like squatting, although it's on two feet, it requires an element of balance because we're having to balance the weight over our center of mass and our body will do whatever it can to try and keep it as close to center of mass as possible. Because as we talked about in previous podcasts, if that weight comes too far forward in front of the center of mass, like how much exponentially that increases the the leverage and the moment arm and, and just makes the weight feel heavier than the weight that's on the bar and if if we're looking at if we think about the common faults that we see like why does someone someone that lacks ankle dorsiflexion and therefore sits backwards why do they fall backwards in a squat well they fall backwards in a squat because their center of mass they're unable to, to keep as much weight over the center of mass as possible. So they lose balance, but it was because of a because they couldn't maintain, maintain center of mass because of a restriction in ankle dorsiflexion. Why that restriction in ankle dorsiflexion is present? Obviously, doesn't necessarily just have to be flexibility. It could be the stability demand as well. But there's that again that dynamic relationship of each one. <laughs> feeds into and changes the response to the different component of fitness. Like we lose range of motion when we squat just by adding being at 90% of max or 95% of max versus 90% of max. Oh sorry, versus 70% of max. Like the range, the range in the squat, we we don't want to go down into the bottom of the squat because we know the deeper we go, the harder it is to stand up. So we've lost range of motion. If we were to look at it and go, oh, well, you're not deep enough. Like you've not lost flexibility. You've made a decision. Well, the deeper I go with the heavier the weight, the harder it is. So I'm going to do the bare minimum. Like, so that is bringing the, the strength, the, the component of strength into the, the range of motion testing. Um, I,
2: yeah, I completely, I couldn't agree with you more. I think that's one of the best examples. I remember sort of, uh, this is obviously anecdotal, but I remember, starting CrossFit and I was constantly told that my mobility was poor in a squat and I was told to do like mobility exercises improve the range of movement my calves or hips whatever it might have been um but it was as soon as we put weight on me even a small amount of weight my range improved significantly because I had something to sort of fight against and to help provide that sort of additional stability essentially but then at the other end of the spectrum add an extra sort of one or two kilos and again it looks like everything's sort of locked down and and stiffened because it's that body's protection mechanism that part of it probably is psychological as well but just try and protect you from failing a certain movement and I I think that was probably the pre-warnings that Phil was getting before he fell over with a
1: dumbbell I uh, I fell elegantly.
2: I don't doubt that at all.
0: You always look at me.
1: I don't know, bud. I don't know. Um, so you see these examples. I think what I'm trying to push you guys into now, just to give you a bit of a heads up for the, the remainder of the last sort of 10 minutes or so of the podcast, is I think we need to give the coaches um, listening, where where do you go then? Like so, you see you see me um, you see me fall, and um, and when you when you finish laughing, um, you then have, to have a decision as as my coach to say, what do I work on now? What is it that I how what do I need to do to improve uh, Gemma's squat? Gemma's new squat feels range in his lunge, whatever it may be. What? Um, and I think we should try and be as specific as possible. Like, what do you? Where do you go to from there? Of course, once the the workout is finished, to calm down, then you're writing the program where you're going to do some form of assessment. Do you then go right? I'm going to break down all four of those elements. So I'm going to do a balance test. I'm going to do a strength test. I'm going to do a a range of motion test and I'm going to do a stability test. And then do you build out and say, right, I'm going to do a sort of range strength test. I am going to push them to a bit of a further range without so much weight, but a little bit more weight or, uh, and again, I'm really interested in what you guys would do as coaches rather than what, what, Uh, other people might do i'd like to know how you guys would look at that and what would be your exact thought process and let's just say you didn't know my weaknesses and strengths Uh, what would be your assessment protocol there so how would you guide a coach on the phone what would you tell them to go and do so you're telling me i was watching myself what would you ask me to go and do now what would you test what would you work on and how what would you try to improve
0: like i would be testing the um so based off what I'd seen, based off seeing you fall over, I'd then go and go, well, i try I'm trying to prove myself prove myself wrong. So I think that you lost you lost your ability to control the range, not because you were stiff, but because you was yeah, not because you lacked flexibility or mobility or however we want to term that, but because you lacked control, stability balance at the end range so I basically go and prove myself wrong and I, I'd, I would test the isolated joint range um, to confirm well actually there is adequate, adequate range there um, it'd then be a case of right okay well I've, com- I've confirmed that the reason you fell over wasn't flexibility so therefore it has to be the opposite end of the spectrum and it's the reason he- you can't control your end range and then it would be a case of adjusting the lunge and coming down slightly So yes, uh, rather than maybe doing the ideal world, you want to be able to do a left-hand overhead walking lunge is maybe that with a little bit less weight because clearly you've not got the ability to control that weight through that range. So actually it could be as simple as just reducing the weight down. It doesn't have to get much more technical than that. Or it could need to be, maybe it had to be a static split squat split squat lunge where you're we've pre-stabilized you with that that ground contact and then you're moving through the range there that would be two two potential uh examples of how i'd just try and keep you keep you doing the task that you want to do like yeah um we'd rather be training than doing a stretch or doing a single leg balance reach that doesn't really feel like training so if I can stay as close to task as possible that's what I aim to do basically.
2: I like the idea of trying to prove yourself wrong I think that's like a nice way of thinking about it I think I would probably do similar but maybe approach it from a slightly different way so I would look I would try and work out whether it is the range first of all or whether it's the strength I think the range is probably the easiest thing to find and work out so I might get you to do um sort of walking lunges and then vary in the length of, of of that lunge and see where you start to fail or break down at that point and then I think that will help me work out whether or not it, it is the range or it is the strength and then similarly similarly to showers similar sort of work perhaps from the top down so add in weight above your head with maybe two arms or then break it down to one um, and just see what sort of gets you to that failure point again and then I think that'll help work out exactly where your weaknesses are and where you need to work on
1: yeah okay that yeah that makes sense and I think I hope that that helps um helps people at at home I think um I yeah I I think depending on the person I think a combination of both strategies is is yeah is, is is highly possible I think from there then so we've seen we've seen the lunge we've seen the fall or your squat and we've tested we've gone away from them in their individual components and we've tested we've tested for let's just let's just say it was look it was a left leg lunge so like the left leg forward so a classic one would be right an anterior right hip range did i have the range at the ante- right anterior hip to take that stride length Um, and I I often think one of the, one of the ways to look at it would be because you could segmentalize the body and you could prioritize the, you could prioritize how these elements worked together at different joints to contribute to the whole. So with a long lunge that way, left ankle dorsiflexion might not be as relevant as range as the right anterior hip for a longer lunge where a shorter lunge left left leg dorsiflexion would be more relevant so there i'd look at probably right hip range in that same in that on that same token left glute strength is is crucial to being able to push me up and get me out of that so my brain would be going, right, let's look at right anterior hip in terms of range of motion. Let's look at left glute in terms of strength. Let's look at, and here we're talking about localized. um, And then we've got got the left arm up above the head. Um, And the left arm, let's look at left shoulder stability in terms of what uh, what is his capability to stabilize and hold. And now we're talking about holding something still, hold something still above his head for a period of time and how does he trans then transfer that force into his core does does he because he can his core then balance or how has the can the intermuscular coordination uh, and here we'd be looking at a distal acceleration um can the distal acceleration of the left leg be controlled via the core through through a balance and then you sort of say well, okay so i've got a a right leg balance exercise because essentially I'm coming from my right leg to land on my left. My left leg is in the air while I'm feeling, as you talked about, which I thought was really interesting, Jim, the sort of the, that, oh shit sensation. Oh my God. Oh no, here we go. I'm I'm about to land on my left foot as as I I'd have felt in the air. I've got that right. So I've got that right leg balance issues going on there. I've got that right anterior hip mobility issues. I've got that left glute strength issue. I've got that the left shoulder stability thing going on, and i have got a general sort of systematic, um, systematic balance problem. I think that's when we look at it localised, and then we can build out from there and go to some more global strategies. And say, all right, what happens is, is balance a gen- Is is balance an all round issue for this person, or is it a, a localised issue? And we do see that. I think it's it's very important as coaches that you do, or we do have. Control or understanding of these left to right, front to back, top to bottom differences in in the elements of within the concepts and components of fitness, and and then say okay, is it a system wide issue? Actually, it's not for me. I've actually got a reasonably good balance, so it's it's not a system wide issue. It's a a movement issue. It's a a competency in this particular movement, which is good to know. Um, You look at move, you move on to you move on to range of motion. is range of motion an issue typically for me it's not i'm hypermobile in most joints that that is issue, so i move on then i move on and i say okay left glute does the left glute is the left glute strong enough absolutely not for me absolutely not particularly my left glute um you're looking at i do the lunges with the right arm above my head and I actually could lunge if I had the bar, if I had the bar, so if I had the dumbbell in my right hand, I wouldn't have fallen. I'd have been able to make the step. So left shoulder has some stability issues. And now I can start to boil down the elements of these these, these coexisting um. The, sort of the elements uh, and instead of looking at them how they coexist breaking them down into the individual components and then putting them back into the system and go okay so is system-wide system-wide I need strength system-wide I do need shoulder stability and then from there I can start to develop strategies to work on that globally because that will then those global issues will then have an influence on other elements of my fitness and so one of the first jobs I think is we have to do or, or the listeners that do have to do at home is look at, is this a, is this a, an exercise complexity issue in terms of some people are better at squatting and some people are better at lunging, some people are better at deadlifting, or is it, is it an element of a particular joint? Is it a more local issue? And we can boil down and you can say, okay, I just talked about anterior hip, but there's also... There's five, six, seven, eight different elements of the anterior hip which could be, which could be restricting. Um, could be restricting uh, hip extension. Um, could be several muscles in the left uh, side uh, posterior hip which aren't strong enough, aren't powerful enough to overcome. And so, what's the difference between system wide issues versus localized issues? And using these testing, understanding these elements to then work on. Which one we're going to try and uh, try and develop as a as a localized and in a systematic uh, issue for the athletes? Um, how would you? How would you? Um, how would you look at it, house? Would you? Would you agree with that? Is that, is that something you're doing?
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just can't articulate it like that. Cheers, mate. <laughs>
2: That's
0: what you said, isn't it? That's uh, what I said. It's, yeah. it's, it's <laughs> what I heard. It's what I heard. Yeah, exactly. You just translated for the academic people out there.
1: Oh, I don't know about that, mate. I don't know about that. Um, so, I think that's probably a nice, um, a nice place to stop the first, um, the first podcast of the series. Um, we've got a. A good series coming up. Um, we've got lots going on. Um, Gemma is working on her piano playing skills because I think she's going to do a, a introduction for us at some point. Is that right, Gemma?
2: Yeah, it'll take about two or three years, but I mean, I've got it on the bag. Even though it's keyboard, it's not a
0: keyboard,
2: it's keyboard. electric piano.
1: The rate at which we record podcasts, mate, you'll probably be able to finish it by the time this series is done. Yeah, um, so, what we've got coming up in this series, guys, we have Return to Sport from Injury. Uh, we're that, gonna look. that was sport,
0: a- by the way. Yeah. You didn't understand. <laughs>
1: um, we're going to look at accessory training, um, what it is, how to get the most from it, and etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. We're going to look at strength training protocols um we are going to have a look at running technique and running development we're going to look at when is the right time to be operated in surgical intervention i'm very excited to have uh we're going to have two uh, we're going to do a guest podcast with two of uh, one athlete and one of our uh, Red Pill coaches, who are both working as uh, practicing doctors, uh, and we're going to have a look at the <coughs> look at the CrossFit um, versus the world uh, debate um, in terms of the medical profession, and have a look at it from a sort of uh, hopefully more balanced view. Uh, in terms of the impact CrossFit can have medically and the impact that it can't have medically. Um, we're going to have um, an episode dedicated directly to research and development, uh, looking at what's new and exciting in the literature, um, as in taping doesn't work, which we've always known, but now it's proven, which is great. Um, um And how to use trading zones correctly uh, is the last one of the series for this one. Um, Looking forward to it. Um, Good to be back on air with you guys. Missed you.
0: It's actually worked all right, this format, hasn't it?
2: Uh, It's preferable, actually.
0: Is it preferable?
1: (laughs) Absolutely. But you miss our off-air witticisms.
2: Exactly. Made my point well there, Phil
1: good guys well um, for everybody listening I hope you have um, thank you for joining us um, and um, all the best
0: cheers guys thanks Many thanks for listening to this episode of the Red Pill Podcast and we welcome any questions you may have on the topics we discussed today and also any suggestions for future Red Pill training podcasts.